Any Seinfeld fans out there? Okay, some of you. Uh, we'll get to that clip in a second, but I, I do want to sh- say this. Tonight is our prodigal family barbecue. Uh, we got the slide up on the screens there. It's tonight at Railroad Park 5 to 7. If your normal Sunday night inclination is to stay at home, maybe do the opposite. <laughs> And go to our prodigal family barbecue. We've got some great food. We've got like 300 water balloons for our kids. Uh, we have lip sync uh, and lots of shade. And so we would just want to encourage you. It's a great chance for us to foster and develop more community amongst this community. And so we want to encourage you to go. It'll be a, an absolute blast. Um, I think that what George says here and experiences is... Uh, true for many of us, but I think it's also in, in part the message of Jesus. Uh, do the opposite. Uh, this is true for the vices and the virtues. With every vice, there's a countering opposite virtue. And these virtues bring light and life and hope into our lives, and it helps, Jesus helps us choose the opposite. So there's forgiveness over anger, humility over pride, purity over lust, diligence over sloth, temperance over gluttony, generosity over greed, and kindness over envy. Do the opposite. And here's the thing, even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it, as you do the opposite, uh, your life begins to move from vice to virtue. This series has, it's been a great series. We got a lot of great feedback from you guys um, as we've tackled the seven deadly sins. And uh, I've learned a ton in studying them for six weeks. It's made me more aware of Uh, my proclivity towards these sins. But today, as we close the series, it's important for us not to just focus in on, and we said this at the beginning of the series, not to just focus in on the vice or the sin or the struggle, but rather the virtues. Virtue is acquired through practice. Repeated activity increases our proficiency in that activity, and gradually, you know, character is formed. Alistair McIntyre uh, describes this process with a child wanting to learn how to play chess, okay? In the hopes of teaching an uninter- uninterested seven-year-old how to play chess, you offer the child candy. One piece for the child to play, another piece if the child wins. Motivated by a sweet tooth, the child agrees, and at first he plays for the candy alone, and he will cheat to win. If you've ever played with a seven-year-old, you know they will cheat to get that candy, But the more the child plays, the better he gets at chess. And the better at chess he gets, the more he enjoys the game, eventually coming to enjoy the game itself. And it's at this point where he is no longer playing for candy. Now the child is playing because he enjoys chess and wants to play well. And now at, at that, he understands the intrinsic value of the game and thereby cheating is not appreciated. It actually ruins it. He's become a chess player. Cheating now will rob him of this virtue. Moral formation from vice to virtue works in the same way. Sometimes we need external incentives to keep us from our vices. Eventually, we become become that. We become like our behavior. We begin to have the character and virtue that we're desiring. Virtue often develops not from the inside out, but from the outside in. Even though I don't feel like it, I will choose to behave this way, and eventually it becomes natural and it moves from the inside 
out. This morning, we're focusing in on the vice of envy. And Evagrius calls envy sadness, which is just about right. Joseph Epstein says this, of all the deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Lust, gluttony, they can be fun at least in the moment, but who enjoys envy even for a second? Socrates called envy the ulcer of the soul. Sounds painful. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. In envy, we tend to magnify another person's good fortune while at the same time minimizing our own. It's a comparison game. How do we stack up with other people? There's winners, there's losers, there's superior, there's inferior. The more worthy and the less worthy. Francis Bacon puts it this way. Envy is ever joined to the comparing of a man's self. And where there is no comparison, there is no envy. And it, envy rears its head in our lives in a lot of sneaky different ways. And we can often see it in movies and in stories. Disney does this really, really well. Here's a few examples that you're probably familiar with. Here's Snow White, right? The evil queen, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? Well, it's Snow White. Well, now I must destroy Snow White. It's a comparison game. And in Cinderella, it's the stepsisters, Anastasia and Drusilla. Yes, I had to look up their names. Uh, These two give stepsisters a bad name, right? They're cold and cruel. They want to reduce Cinderella to, to rags and ashes. They degrade her, demean her, dehumanize her. They experience her beauty as emptiness in themselves. Her presence causes them the pain of self-awareness. They feel persecuted by the good in her. Not only do they want what she has, they want her to be without it. This is envy. And it's a deadly sin. And those who practice it will never know the happily ever after that happens at the end of these stories. My favorite of the Disney examples is Syndrome from The Incredibles. Okay? Uh, first, he thinks he's an incredible boy. And early on in the film, Incredible Boy is this ardent uh, admiration for Mr. Incredible. And uh, through a series of circumstances, uh, he's kind of spurned by that, and his inferiority is openly acknowledged. Then he involves himself in a lifetime's work of taking down Mr. Incredible, but not only that, all of the other superheroes. He spends all of his time and energy trying to make himself into an imitation superhero. You could probably think of other characters in books, shows, movies that display envy, but can you think of envy in your own life? According to one confessional manual, envy can show itself in the following ways. And I'm going to read a lot here, so just see if you can find yourself somewhere on this list. Envy can show itself in feeling offended at the talents, successes, or good fortune of others, selfish or unnecessary rivalry and competition, pleasure at others' difficulties or distress, ill will, reading false motives into others' behavior, belittling others, 
fast, false accusations, backbiting, saying something bad, even if true, behind another's back. Slander, saying something bad, even if true, in the open about someone. Initiation, collection, or retelling of gossip. Arousing, fostering, or organizing antagonism against others. Scorn of another's abilities or failures. Teasing or bullying. Ridicule of persons, institutions, or ideals. And prejudice against those we consider inferior, who consider us inferior, or who seem to threaten our security or position. Do any of you struggle with any of that? We're envious creatures, aren't we? John Chrysostom says this, As a moth gnaws a garment, so doth envy consume a man. Have you ever used the TH at the end of a word that doesn't merit it? You know they mean business. It destroys our capacity to enjoy the life that we've been given. We always feel robbed, like we're being cheated, underappreciated. We experience our own life as lacking. And envy breeds on proximity. Those who, too, who are too far above me, I don't envy them, right? Because I can't imagine myself in their position. Why would I envy the achievements of Bill Gates, right? Like his world is so beyond my reach, it's irrelevant. But the pastor down the street? Well, that's a horse of a different color. It is another paradox of the envious that we only envy those in whose place we can picture ourselves. Those who, if it wasn't for a twist of fate or bad luck, we would be in their shoes. Yet at the same time, we find ourselves feeling as though that the possibility is so far removed that it's impossible to get there. The envied one is paradoxically both too close for comfort and also completely out of reach. And just for your amusement, I will give you a list of some of the people that I have envied. People who are more athletic than me, people who are smarter than me, guys who are better looking than me, guys who have better hair than me, guys who have more hair than me, weightlifters, musicians, people who are better pastors, better speakers, better leaders with bigger churches, people who are better at confrontation than me, that when they get mad, they don't sulk and retreat, they just get more articulate. And if you are here today and you don't struggle with envy, I envy you too. <laughs> you know what envy is? Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring God's goodness in mine. That's envy. Social scientists documented the impact of social media on envy. And because we have more access to more successes by people that are like us in our world, more than ever before, that uh, they seem to be recording all of their triumphs and successes. Everybody seems to have better jobs, better kids, better dining experiences, and better vacations. The more time we spend on social media, the more envy we experience. Envy, it, it's such a miserable thing, and we do it to ourselves. Oh, it makes me so mad that they, had that they got that. And we, we just stare. And we let it foster inside of us. And what I've, what I've discovered about envy is it seems to be an equal opportunity employer. Okay? Men and women are both equally envious. In envy, it seems to be a same-sex sin, right? Men tend to envy other men. Women tend to envy other women. Have you found this to be true in your own life? 
In the story of Israel, we find that envy is what drove the people to creating a monarchy. See, God declares to his people, he says, I will be your king. You will not be like the other nations. I will lead you. I will shape you. I will be your king. And Israel looks around and they're like, we want to be like all them. And God's like, no, 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 you guys don't get it. Like that, that's going to end badly. I'll be your king. And they say, hard pass. We want to be like everyone else. And, with, and God says, so be it. And, and almost instantly, the nation is divided, broken, fractured. Ever heard the expression green with envy? I didn't know what that meant until this week. Green with envy. It, historically, it denotes that envy has been personified by a sickly person. So picture someone weak, emaciated, green. That's envy. That's what it does to us. Indeed, of all the sins, envy seems to be its own punishment. It debilitates the host. I want us to be honest here for a moment. When the office slacker, okay, that person at your office typically slacks off, but they make a mistake that probably will cost them a pay raise, Do you truly feel bad or do you have to hide your smile? If you smiled, you've just experienced schadenfreude. Now, schadenfreude is a a German word, and it means a bit of enjoyment uh, from another person's misfortune. A a bit of enjoyment from another person's misfortune. But schadenfreude doesn't stop with people who we don't really like. Uh, Francois, the sixth Duke de la Rochefoucauld, um, he said this. I think I pronounced that right. I've been watching the, world, the Women's World Cup, which takes place in France, so I've been working on my French. In the misfortune of our best friends, we always find something that is not displeasing to us. Ouch. Schadenfreude. Is that true for us? There's just that small part of us. God says, get rid of it. Victor Hugo recounts an opportunity granted to envy and avarice to receive whatever they wished on the condition that the other gets a double portion of whatever you wished for. And envy immediately jumps the gun and says, I wish for one eye to be blind. And avarice becomes instantly blind. The envious person resents another person's good. It's not just that the other person is better, it's that by comparison, it makes you feel your own lack. You're familiar with the story in the Gospels where uh, Jesus tells a story about a landlord who hires workers, and he hires some at 6 a.m., he hires some at 9, 12, 3. And at the end of the day, the, 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 uh, the, the, the owner of the land comes and starts paying, and he pays the last people first, and he pays them a full day's wages. So then he pays the people at 12, at 9, and 6, the people who've been working all day, and they think they're going to get paid double, triple. If they pay the guy who only worked two hours, if they paid him a full day, they're going to pay us big. 
and they get, throw this hissy fit. Matthew 20, it says this in verse 12. These who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius, a day's pay? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is opposite, right? Last is going to be first, first is going to be last. It says, are you, why are you envious because of my generosity? In the Greek, it's this. Why is your eye evil because I am good? Your eye is evil when we envy. Here's Jesus doing the opposite. The great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. The envier can do neither. And the followers of Jesus are not immune to envy. I suppose for us, yeah, we expect a break. After all, we give, we work, we care, we volunteer, we sacrifice. We, we don't just look out for number one. Those people over there, they look out for number one. And, and we do all this other stuff that's really good, really Christian. If our lot in life is worse than theirs, we feel robbed, cheated, and our envy is masked in religious martyrdom. Woe is me. Deep in the heart, we stop believing that God's good to us, and we experience life as a chore rather than a gift, a curse rather than a blessing, a weight rather than grace. Envy is the ongoing regret of the life we've been given. And God says, no, no, no. The abundant life is right in front of you. It's all around you. Too many Christians are eaten up with envy, hanging on to God with one hand while using the other hand to clutch at the life of another. This is no way to live. There's a cure. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not, what? Envy. Does not boast, it's not proud. Envy in many ways is the opposite of love. Love rejoices in our neighbor's good. Envy grieves over it. A person of love feels enhanced at the well-being of others. A person of envy feels diminished by the well-being of others. When I love somebody, I constantly want to build them up. When I envy somebody, I compare myself to them, and I actually want them to be torn down. No one can get rid of envy by trying really hard. Like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I'm going to do this. I can I'm not going to envy. No, that's not the way to get rid of envy. No, envy can only be removed when it's replaced with love. This is the way of spiritual transformation. When love is present, there's just not room for envy to grow. Now, if you're counting the, the seven deadly sins as we've been going through this series, uh, we've only looked at six of the seven. And you're like, what's the deal? Where's the seventh? This morning, I was supposed to do envy and greed. Combine them both. Uh, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Phew, he's not going to talk about money. First of all, check your heart, okay? Here's all I'm going to say about greed. And it's what I've been saying all morning. Do the opposite. Greed is this constant desire for us to, to keep the money that we have and to get more money and to hold it tightly. What's the opposite? Loosening that grip and giving it away. I wish there was a different cure for the hold that money has on me. I wish that there was some other way, but it, we got to do the opposite. We got to Costanza this. 
And the only way to release the grip that money has on us is to give it to God, give it away, give it to others. The countering heavenly virtue to greed is charity, giving, generosity. I encourage you to do that. Give it away. It's a sticky vice, and it's tough to get out of. But to replace that greed with love, with generosity, you're doing the opposite. Last week, my son, Dex, did video announcements. And uh, here's a picture of him from doing announcements. Anger. Good job, son. Um, And many of you came up to me afterwards, and you're like, you must be so proud. He did so good up there. And I would say, thank you. Even though I had nothing to do with it, it was all him, I will say thank you. Why? Because I have such a bond with my son. He's family. I identify with him in such a way that when he wins, I win. When he does well, I feel proud. When he wins, I win because of love. Some of you continued, man, we wish he could do announcements more often. In fact, we'd rather hear him than hear you. I would say, wonderful. My life is enhanced when there is accomplishments with the people I love. I'm not envious. I'm not envying my son. He's family, so I rejoice. That's kind of the plan. We're supposed to be family. If we lived where everyone was family, envy has no place to thrive. Envy has nothing to eat. It's not that hard to... It's not that I have to really try to not envy. It's just that envy is uprooted by my love. That's the goal. You can think of it like this. Um, All of us, to some extent, have this. There are people in our circle of oneness. Here's a uh, kind of an illustration there. In our circle of oneness, our family, maybe our close friends, right? When, When good things happen to them, we rejoice. We celebrate. If they're sad, it hurts us too. It's our circle of oneness. Then there are people in what I might call the circle of rivals, okay? And uh, enemies, frenemies, schadenfreude, left and right. And with them, it's the opposite. If they do well, I feel diminished. If they go south and have problems, I kind of feel a little bit better about myself. And Jesus' plan is to just take those in the circle of rivals and move them to the circle of oneness. That's the plan. One family. Galatians says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Let's take those rivals and we bring them into our circle of oneness. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Family therapist by the name of Jim Roberts was visiting his son's fourth grade class when the teacher initiated a game called Balloon Stomp. Balloon Stomp, if you've been in youth ministry before, you're familiar with it. Every child had a balloon tied to their leg. And the object of the game was to protect your balloon while at the same time trying to stomp on and pop everybody else's balloon. It's a very Darwinian game, survival of the fittest. Every man for himself. Except for a few timid souls who knew they could never win, committed balloon suicide by popping their own balloon first. 
whole game was over quite quickly with the biggest, strongest, toughest kid winning. And then a disturbing thing happened at another class. This one with students with intellectual disabilities, they were brought in to play the same game. Balloons were tied to their legs and the instructions were read to them. And Jim Roberts said that he began to get this sick feeling in his stomach. He knew what he was about to see. Then the strangest thing happened. See, they understood the idea that the balloon needed to be popped, but what they got wrong was the dog-eat-dog part of it all. And they just went about methodically, happily, joyfully, helping each other pop the balloons. One little girl carefully held her own balloon in place while the little boy popped it, and then he held his balloon down so that she could have a turn. When the last balloon was popped, Everybody cheered. Everybody won. They just did the opposite. Which game are you going to play this week? I think Jesus would say, okay, you've kept score, keep score, but keep score with how many people am I going to help? Who am I going to encourage to shine? Who could I thank or compliment or recognize? Who could I brag about behind their back to other people? This week, make it real concrete. Pray for your competitor to shine. Commit to praying for them to flourish. Now, you may not feel like praying for them. That's okay. You can't control feelings, but you can control your prayers. And you'll find a strange thing that your envy, your enmity for them is transformed into love. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. This, this concept of doing the opposite, I think there's a lot of truth in it. Because 2,000 years ago, an innocent man was hung on a criminal's cross. And what he was supposed to do was die like everybody else before him. And he was supposed to stay in the tomb just like everybody else before him. But Jesus did the opposite. Death couldn't hold him. He resurrected. He overtook the thing that we can't. He bore the pain and and sin of all of us out of love because he was filled with love and he is love, as 1 John teaches Jesus did the opposite. How can we do that this week? Maybe instead of as, as we're scrolling and we're trolling and we're envying, what if instead we're praying? That person who you feel lucked out got a better rap than you did. Could you say, God, I pray God's blessings. I, pr- I pray your blessings upon them in their lives, their family. God, as they're on this trip to Disneyland for it seems like the 17th time in the last two months, I pray that it is the happiest place on earth for them. I pray that there's joy, that they savor the moments with their children, that they look at those smiles of those perfect kids and it brings them joy and it draws them closer as a family. God, bring them closer to you. God, replace my envy with love. So God, we ask that in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for that love, God. How you love us. Oh, how you love us. God, we struggle with pride. 
We struggle with gluttony. We struggle with lust. We struggle with anger. We struggle with sloth. We struggle with greed. We struggle with envy. And you love us anyway. God, let those fade in Jesus' name be transformed as we are filled up with your grace and your scandalous love. In Jesus' name, amen.